here in this church since it started, and, and I, w- I could always amen Pastor Jim when he preached about giving because, hey, we were all in. Our family, we love come to love New Song. We never worshipped. I grew up in church. I never worshipped like I worshipped here. I'd never really been involved like I'd been involved here, and I felt a uh, sense of purpose. And, and so giving our money, that was just the thing that made the thing go, you know, and and I could amen Pastor Roger because I was, I had, uh, Pastor Jim had prepared me to really be behind the next guy, and, and so we're there. But then I become pastor, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I grew up in church. I know what people think about preachers talking about money. And then you go on TV, and every preacher has a different way of asking for money, right? And, and, uh, but, you know, really we shouldn't be asking for money because that changes the dynamic of why we actually really do give in a church. There's nothing wrong with asking for people to be faithful in their giving. But when you say ask for money, it brings a different connotation to it. I mean, do we really give our offerings to pay for the preacher to talk? If so, I'm not sure we're going to be able to pay for the bills, folks. <laughs> I'm not that skilled yet of a speaker. I mean, um, or do we give our tithes so that we can make sure staff has their paychecks and because the church building needs to be lighted and heated and cooled and all through the year and all those things that we enjoy. You know, if we're part of the Lions Club, that's really what we do- discuss. We'd, we come together on budget, say, hey, are we paying enough dues to take care of all, all the facilities and all the things we want to do. Or in other words, do we give because we have to? Because we feel we have to, a sense of duty. Or is there a better reason to give of my offerings to the church? Now, I, I admit that actually I probably fail a little bit. We don't really talk enough about this. We don't really have a lot of sermons about, about giving. And, and I really plan to do a few more uh, tagged on to this one as well. But in First Chronicles, if you want to turn to me, in First Chronicles 29... First Chronicles chapter 29, it's right before Second Chronicles, if you're, if you're confused where it's found. Um, chapter 29, we'll be looking down at verse 13 through 16 initially. King David, this is, uh, you know, King David uh, was a, a giver. He had his issues, but he was a giver. And, and David said he gave because he believed the money belonged to God to begin with. It wasn't his to begin with. That really changes the dynamic, you know, when, when you give because it's not really yours to begin with. You know, um, I've, I've seen with my kids, you know, it's like they'll be glad to buy, uh, buy something to share. Um, they'll be glad to buy a toy, and they're also glad for their brother or sister to buy a toy, thinking, I'm going to probably get to play with that, you know. And if I can have some kind of ownership of it. But um, there's also times when, when they don't, you know, they don't want to share because, hey, I paid for that. But David believed because the money all belonged to God to begin with, it wasn't his. Uh, look with me at 1 Chronicles 29, 13 through 16. David prays to God. This is his prayer. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise uh, your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as we are all, as as we're all our forefathers, our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. David's not saying, "Hey, look at the wealth I've given God for to build a temple for you." Um, I, I should be blessed because of that. I should have many blessings because of that. He said, it's all yours anyway. I just released back to you what was already yours. 
Who did the money belong to? He said it belonged to God. The money hadn't been David's. The offerings that were given from the people hadn't belonged to the people. Everything belonged to God. And why is that important? Well, first of all, because it's true. And David acknowledged it by saying, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. Or as James wrote, Every good and perfect gift from above is from above, coming down from uh, the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. In James 1.17. You know, that's interesting. When I prepared for this message, you know, I read that, and then I started thinking about this a little closer, even though this isn't my notes. You think about how he's addressing two things here. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. That's about who owns, right? Who owns the gifts. But then he says, who does not change like the shifting shadows. And it's interesting that we now switch to about whether God changes or not. And why? Because what he's speaking to is the heart of the investor. Those who have the resources. Generally, the people who have the resources because they've been able to obtain it because may, maybe they're wise with the money, maybe they've been gifted with it, but they think about return on their investment. And an investor, they want to know that something is solid, not going to change, that it's consistent. Dave Ramsey, who does Financial Peace University, faith-based financial um, uh, planning, or it, he talks about that from the Great Depression till now that the stock market has averaged almost 12% return. Think about all the tragedies and all the, the uh, recessions and all the things that have happened from then until now, but yet if someone put their money in right at the Great Depression and left it till now, they would have made almost 12% on their money. But if you happen to be one of those people in one of those five to seven year periods that happen every once in a while where it, it crashes or it's sideways, there's a lot of people pull their money out. Fear. A year is a long time sometimes when it comes to money, right? And if you're just watching those numbers daily, you can't think about back to the Great Depression or 20 years from now. And Dave always says, hey, look, Lord is coming back one day and things might get crazy and you know, things look bad now, and there will be a time when things won't will crash, but you can't live in fear. You can't try to plan for the future based on today or tomorrow. You have to think, God is in control, and I will trust him that things will be okay. And if I lose all my money, it was God's anyway. He had different plans for it. I still have my life. See, why would I believe that everything I have comes from God? I mean, I'm the one that clocks in and out, right? I'm the one that has to deal with the boss. I'm the one that sits through those grueling uh, reviews, end-of-year reviews, or, or my evaluations. You know? I'm the one that does the late hours. I miss, I miss time for my family. What, why should I believe that everything belongs to God? Well, there's an a illustration of a scientist who approached God. This is just kind of tongue-in-cheek, but the, the scientist approached God and said, Listen, we decide we no longer need you. Nowadays, we can clone people. We can transplant hearts and do all kinds of things that were once considered miraculous. We don't need you, God. God patiently heard the scientists out and then said, All right, to see whether or not you still need me, why don't we have a man-making contest? To that, the scientists smugly said, Okay, great. Now, God says, We're going to do this just like we did back in the old days uh, with Adam, God said. That's fine, replied the scientist as he bent down, scooped up a, a handful of dirt in front of God. 
God says, whoa, whoa, shaking his head. Not so fast, pal. You get your own dirt. <laughs> you see, we, we, we sometimes won't think we can outsmart God or that we somehow have some ownership. But truth matter is, you go far enough back in, in how things got to you, eventually you end up with dirt, right? And God made the dirt. And so there's nothing you can do to have ownership. It's all God's. And the point is, you can do anything. You can't do anything without using something God has created. You can't do anything without using something that God has created. Whether it's uh, the dirt at your feet, the metal in the ground or the metal in your head, or any other commodity that you might use or make a living with, it's all that God being created by God. It's all His. Even your skills, even your intellect, your physical ability, they're all from God because God created you in His image. All of the things that you use to make a living have been given to us. If we could only, right now, if, if even the unbelievers for just a minute could have that realization, that realization that we all came from God and we've all been created by God, all the evil going on in the world, all the fighting, all the war, the lack of consideration for life itself. You know the crane crashing through the mosque recently, if you hadn't seen that. You know, the first images they put out of, of blood splattered everywhere and the horror of that. And, you know, it was all about views on YouTube or, or, or ratings on the media. And I mean, that's how much life has really come down to the worth of man is, is how much attention it can get. Bargaining, bargaining uh, even life itself to make money. It's all created by God. Your skills, your intellect, your physical ability. Now, this idea that God has given us everything is not only true, it's pivotal, it's critical, it's highly important because it affects how we behave. It not only affects how we give our gifts to God, but it affects how we behave and it affects how we treat God himself. John Maxwell tells a story of a congressman who took his son to McDonald's. And John Maxwell talks about the fact that this congressman, you know, obviously high position, uh, wealthy, goes in McDonald's, buys his kid a, a big burger, a drink and fries, and they sit down to eat. And as they're sitting down to eat and just enjoying the time, he reaches over to get a fry, and his son pulls the fries back away from his dad. And so he initially says, that's all right, son. Um, uh, that's okay. But as he sits there and begins to reflect on that, he says he begins to think about it and drink his Coke, and, and he thinks, doesn't my son realize I'm the one who gave him those fries in the first place? Doesn't he realize I can take those fries away from him anytime I want? Doesn't he realize I can go up to the counter and I've got enough money, I can buy all the fries I want? I can tell the people at the counter to go out there with buckets of fries and drown my son in fries. Doesn't my son realize I, that I don't need any of his fries? I can get my own. And doesn't he realize... All I wanted was just to share a couple of fries with him. And then the congressman said it hit him that his son was simply acting like he had been acting with God. His son had forgotten who bought the fries to begin with. And because he had forgotten who really, by right, owned the fries, he treated his father badly. That just doesn't happen to young boys. It can happen to any of us when we forget that God truly owns all we possess talked over and over about the story of the prodigal son, which Jesus talked, he didn't call it the story of the prodigal son. Jesus called it the story of two brothers. 
And the reason for that is because there was two key characters, well, three key characters, but there was two characters that he was driving a point home about. It wasn't just a prodigal son who ran away and squandered his, his inheritance on wild living. Also the brother who stayed and did everything that the father asked. But the story ends with what? The brother outside of the feast that's being celebrated of his brother coming back, upset, not wanting to come in. And the father goes out and talks to him and says, don't you know that everything I have is already yours anyway? What are you so upset about? We see this picture of God saying, you know, I welcomed him back. I ran back because he came back. You know, you could almost go on, and if the story was told further, I imagine what Jesus is saying is, I have come to show these Pharisees who were there listening as well that I am coming to show you what a true elder brother does. He doesn't stick around just doing things for the Father for his own benefit so one day he'll get his stuff. I'm going to go out and go after the lost younger brother. Jesus says that's what the younger brother is supposed to do. It wasn't the father's job to go out and get the son. Why didn't we ask that question? You know, when we did the whole uh, thing on the prodigal son and and the the book by Timothy Keller, The Prodigal God, it talks about Jesus told several parables in a series. One was about the the shepherd that went after the one lost sheep, left the 99. The shepherd went out and looked for him, right? Then he tells about the lady who lost a coin. She turns her house upside down for that one coin. But then he tells the story of the prodigal son or the two brothers, and it doesn't end that way. Who went and looked for the son? No one. Who should have? The older brother. Why didn't he go out and look for him? Why didn't he go after him? Well, we can see in the end, because his attitude was, is, it cost me too much. You see, all that time, the older brother wasn't doing all that great stuff for the father because he loved the father. He was doing it for his stuff. And many times that... that Attitude of ownership infiltrates into our life with Christ in the church, and we begin to do things just because we hope to get a return on our investment, not because we're doing it because Christ loved us enough to give us the free gift of salvation, to give us life that God created us. There's two reasons why um, this is true, why this happens, and why it's true that we need to remove that, that sense of ownership when we give. One is the golden rule. The golden rule, except this isn't the golden rule like you normally think. This golden rule is he who owns the gold makes the rules. You know, in the Brummett family, for generations now, I suspect, I didn't get to know my dad's parents. They died when, I was, when he was young. But my dad told me and my brother and other siblings that, you know, you live under this roof, you obey the rules. You don't like it, go get you another roof. But I won't be paying for that one. And I remember one time I thought I was big enough to say, okay, I'll take off. I had this old muscle car that I had worked for two years from age 14 to 16, sacking groceries to rebuild that. My brother helped me. Had a 69 MC Javelin, had big old fat tires on the back, big motor. It's great. But my dad informed me that I wouldn't be leaving with my car because he paid the insurance. And you can't drive legally without insurance. And I thought, well, I don't think I like that plan too much. And I ended up stick, staying at home and doing it his way. <laughs> he who owns the gold makes the rules. And that's the truth. God owns all the gold. He makes the rules. That little boy with the french fries thought he owned the fries. Therefore, he believed that he had the right to decide whether his dad deserved them or not. And many times we don't think we're doing that, but we approach God that way. Well, you know, I'm not sure. We wouldn't say this in our mind. We wouldn't want to think it. But when when we're sitting there, either offering time or giving our time or giving of anything of us before God, we're like, you know, I've worked really hard, and there's just a certain amount that I need to have my, my stuff, and then, then God, in, in any excess, when that comes along, I'll be glad to slide a little across the table to you. But right now, you don't deserve that. 
And we forget that we're treating God that same way like the French fries. It's like, it's his fries, man. Give God some fries. If we who are in the church believe we own our money, then we get to decide not only whether God gets a share, but what is done with that share. A pastor that's my age, but we, he's been in ministry a lot more years than me, uh, we were talking about situations where, where people, you know, if you're going to go buy new chairs and people give money towards the chairs, then all of a sudden you got people saying, well, I, if I'm going to give money, I want to help pick out the color. That's why I'm giving. And he talked about, you know, sometimes in his church board, if, if he goes, we don't leverage each other with God's stuff. He said, if I've ever been in a board meeting, I have a board member say, you know what, if it's not going to be that way, then maybe I should just resign. Maybe I should just resign my position. He says, we don't leverage each other. I don't allow that. He says, if they ever do that, I just say, okay, I accept your resignation. Thank you for your time. He says, and I move on. We're not going to leverage each other. We're not going to use God's stuff and God's kingdom and his ministry to get our own way. We're not going to be like that child with the fries that's trying to hoard the fries when it doesn't belong to us anyway. I remember one time um, in, in, in a motorcycle ministry situation. I remember the Holy Spirit grabbing my heart and making me speak out when I was fairly new in it as, as something that was about money and, and some disagreements. And I don't know where, I, I know where it came from, but boy, before I knew it, I spoke up in a group of men that were all some pretty scary men, you know, in the natural, <laughs> you know. And I just remember, yeah, it's God's money. It's not ours. It's God's money. Holy Spirit disturbed my soul. We're, we're arguing about God's money. And it's not ours. We need to get our hands off of it. That's what the problem is. We could dance all around the issues, but it comes down to somebody's trying to put their hands on God's money. And that's where the issue came from. Once I heard about a, a preacher who was approached by a fairly rich man in the congregation. This man was angry. A decision had been made in the congregation that he didn't agree with after all his financial giving. And... In no uncertain terms, he let the preacher know that until the church changed its policy, he was going to withhold his tithe. The preacher tried to reason with a member for a couple of minutes and to no avail. And then he said, you know what? He told, he told this uh, businessman, he said, you know what? This is such an important matter. We really ought to talk to God about this. And before the guy could react, he grabbed his hand and he started going down to his knees. Right there. So they began to, he began to pray with this man uh, before he had a chance to back out of it. And this is what he began to pray. He looked up towards heaven. The preacher said, Dear God, we come before you and ask for your guidance in this matter. This brother has decided that he is unhappy with the decision in this church this church has made, and so he intends to refuse to give you any of his money until he can get his way. He intends to rob you, Lord, of your tithe until the church makes a decision that he favors. At about this time, the rich man literally dragged the preacher up to his feet, uh, protesting that wasn't what he intended at all. But it really was what he intended. He was trying to leverage that pastor and saying, you know what I give. And, and brothers and sisters, we can laugh about this, but I've seen it myself. I've seen it happen. I've seen real life scenario where, where I've, I've, I've heard the words spoken, that church is going to crumble without our giving. I've seen God prove them wrong too. I've seen, I've, I don't think I've seen an instance where someone who had that kind of spirit about it where they, where they were right, where that happened in the end. I've seen turmoil come to that person's life and I've seen the church thrive. The second reason we must believe that we, are, uh, that we own, own actually, everything we own actually belongs to God is because the praise factor. Because of the praise factor. He who owns the goal gets the praise. God created us. He gave us life, giving praise. 
maybe not us, but our ancestors, and we've all sinned. So going back to Eve, we messed it up. He gave a plan for redemption through his son, Jesus, giving his life on the cross. We owe him praise. If I own my offering, the money I have belongs to me. There's sometimes things are given to God that it's like our thumbs are stuck to it. And we'd literally follow that check all the way to the bank and get run through the little check machine because we can't let go. And I've seen times where things have been given to churches or organizations where if the person gets mad and leaves, they take the stuff they donated to with them. It never really was given. It still had their name attached to it. It wasn't given. It was loaned. It was done under the pretense that it was given. I, I talked to another young minister. I didn't tell this in the first service, but I remember on a, a trip, a ministry trip with another young minister. He's going through a thing where at one point a lady had given a piano to the church and she played that piano and he came in as the new young minister there and um, there were some issues he's dealing with that and had to ask her to not be uh, to not play the piano anymore. And she wanted to take the piano back. And I'm pretty uh, amazed by his, uh, uh, I don't know, stick to this, whatever, but he said, no, you gave that to God. It's God's. You can't take it back. And it ensued kind of a battle over the piano. And he said, I really didn't care if she took the piano. But at some point, as her pastor, or somebody needed to be a pastor and love her enough to teach her that when you give to God, it's going to hurt you spiritually for you to take it back. And in the end, by the time the, the husband got involved, the story goes, the husband got aggravated about the whole situation and told her, it's not our piano anymore. <laughs> and so they end up resolving that. But there's times where that split churches over, something so simple as that. Yep. Then the more I give to the church, the more likely I am to receive praise. And thus, the richer I am, the more I am capable of giving, the more acknowledgement I'm likely to receive. I'm not going to knock how some places have done uh, where you can give money and you get a brick with your name on it, you know, towards the organization. I'm not going to knock that because there's some real value sometimes in letting people say, hey, you know, I want your partnership. And if your name's here, we'll know to keep praying for you and that partnership. It could also be done where, hey, we just want, we want our name there so that we're recognized for our giving. It all comes down to the attitude of the heart. There's a large metropolitan church that uh, a gift was given from a businessman, $150,000 from a corporate millionaire for a new organ. There is a whole bunch of pomp and circumstance around the giving, a, a, a certificate or a plaque given to him, big recognition. Yet there was a little uh, widow lady who had been going to that church for years and years and years, faithfully giving every week, sacrificially, no recognition, no pomp, no circumstances. So the writer of this uh, article mentioned that, like, is that really what we want to portray to God's people? That it's all about your stature or the amount you give? No, it's not. It's about the heart in which you give. It's not about the recognition. I've noticed in older churches that this has happened a lot. If you went into an older church building with the stained glass, how many of you have been in a church with stained glass before? In some of those, you might even notice that it was popular to put a little piece of, of clear glass in the corner that would have the name of the person who donated that stained glass. Their name forever there to be recognized that they gave that item. We've got to be careful that when we give to God, it's truly from a heart of, I just want God to have it. I want him to do with it because it's his anyway. When that stained glass, someone wanted everyone to remember who donated that window of the church for, for as long as it was there. Essentially, they still really own that stained glass. Their name's on it, right? I mean, church closed down. I can see you come in and say, hey, well, that one's got my name on it. If you're going to tear this down, I'm going to take that with me. 
You know, because your name is important to you. It's, it's uh, You own that name. By contrast, notice what David says. If we were to look in 1 Chronicles 29, 16, and 20. O Lord, our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. Then David said the, to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord and the God of their fathers. They bowed low and fell prostrate before the Lord and the king. They praised God for the temple that was built. They, they praised God for his kindness to them as people. But most importantly, they praised God for the abundance of the offerings they gave. Not because of their name, but because that God had entrusted them with that much that they could give. When David says, who are we that we give this? Who are we? Who am I and who are the people? He's recognizing the awesomeness that God actually entrusted them with that much to give. Not look at me how much I gave, but how awesome is it that God would trust me with that much to be able to give? This idea that God owns all our possessions is a critical measure of our spiritual maturity. That God owns all our possessions, it's a critical measure of our spiritual maturity. We really should explain that concept to everyone who comes to Christ and we baptize. Before we baptize someone in water, we really ought to have a conversation with them where we pull out our wallet, show them what money's in there, and say, you know, anything that ever goes through here, it belongs to God. I want you to understand that. Then flip over to your photo section and show them a picture of your family. Say, this is all God's too. He's made me a steward of my family. And you could go through and maybe you have your car keys and this is God's and here's my house key, that's God's. For them to truly understand that it always belonged to God. But now that you're a believer and you profess that Jesus is your Lord and your King, you are truly turning over everything to Him. You are submitting all. It's one thing for us to sing, I surrender all. And think about that we're surrendering the alcohol or the drugs or those things that have been plaguing our life. But what about when the blessings come? What about when God gives you that good job? What about when God gives you the extra? Is it still I surrender all? Or is it I surrender the bad stuff, God, the good stuff I'm keeping for me? We should read to them Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Then we should point out that confessing Jesus as Lord is pivotal to our salvation. Lord means he's over everything. He was a master and you were a slave. Did a slave own anything? Of course not. It's all the master's. This truth should not only affect how I give my offering to God every Sunday, it should affect the very way I handle my finances throughout the week as well. We're going to be doing a Dave Ramsey class again soon. Um, it's about a nine-week course for people who are in faith-based money management. There's no get-rich-quick scheme. This isn't to tell you how to sell real estate. Anything. This is to tell you how to take what God has put in your hands and to manage it the way God would want you to manage it. And so it's not just Sunday and offerings. It's about how we manage our money as stewards for the, for the long term. Since that money belongs to Jesus, we should treat it as such. I should examine everything I buy, rent or lease, asking if such an expenditure would please him or not. And thus it's essential for we who are Christians to realize our possessions belong to him. In fact, it's so critical a measure of my spiritual maturity that King David said, God, test us in this. Test us. Look again at 1 Chronicles 29, 17. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. 
And now I have seen with joy how willing, willingly you, your people, how willingly your people who are here gave, I have given to you. The idea is, it says integrity. It's talking about integrity. That means when nobody's watching, this is what we teach our boys, and our, you know, and Lily. Integrity is, what do you do when no one's watching? That's your integrity. It's not whether you do the right thing when mom and dad's watching. You guys missed the comedy in the first service. I got a problem where my boys think they can just speak out, you know, during the service, like this kid's church, and I'm like, you know, you, and it's usually silliness. It's not some great spiritual truth that we all need here, you know. And so I have to embarrassingly come over and, and pin one of their knees to the chair to let them know physically, I heard you, now it's time to be quiet. And, um, but, you know, they can, they can somewhat pull themselves together when mom and dad's watching. It's those times when we drop them off at my sister's house. Mom, you need to be just like the dad's here watching. If you wouldn't do it at our house, you don't do it here, right? And it's that same thing when it's giving. What, what's being talked about here is integrity. It's, it's not just when we're all in church. It's real easy to pull out you know, a whole bunch of change in ones, stuff an envelope full, so you got this big old fat offering envelope, like, yeah, look at this. Boom. Maybe drop a little higher so the offering plate goes, you know. I'm like, did you see? You know? It's another thing, it's another thing, and I, I will tell you, Ken and I talked about this. I kind of struggled, you know, I think Ken and Kevin and I talked one Sunday morning about this. I said, you know, Jen and I, uh, because we're ministers of the Assemblies God of structure, is 75% of our tithe has to go to our, our district and then a portion goes to our headquarters. And it's kind of like the pastors are the congregation for those that lead us. So it helps pay those salaries. You know, it helps keep that ministry going. And, and you know, there's times when it's like when the church struggles, I'm like, man, I know it's not much, God, but we, <laughs> we can really use even that. And so I struggled sometimes with the fact that, you know, we're not always ones you see us, you know, dropping something in. You know, we have offerings on top of it, but, you know, we're not... And, and that plays with you. But it's that same concept. Uh, I got to get some, I got I to let people know that I'm giving to God too. You know, like it matters what other people think. It's only what God thinks. He knows what we're doing. The integrity of whether we are paying our tithe, whether we're giving sacrificially, whether we're giving both tithes, it's, it's between us and God. We got to get this wiped out of our mind that somehow it's a show in the church that we got to see it. But at the same time, we talked about that it's also good for people to know that pastor is being faithful. I'm not up here just teaching you one thing and doing the other. And uh, I think a, a, an example is given a minister who actually put an empty envelope every week because he had his taken out of his check immediately before they wrote his check from the church so that they he knew it was never going to uh, fall in the cracks. But he wanted the folks to know he's given. And we discussed whether that's really right. Is that showmanship or what is that? You know, um, But I believe it's teaching. Um. So he says, David says to test. It's a test. He's saying, God, test us in this. David saw his offering as a test of the heart. He saw his offering as a test of the heart. It's interesting enough because God says when it comes to tithe, God, it's one of the only things God says, test me in this. If you'll tithe, I will prove to you. I will open the floodgates. Of I will prove to you my blessings. This is one thing God wants us to test him in, that if we will give faithfully. And in this return, David's also saying, saying God, test me in this. Test my heart in this. In an article on this subject where the remarks of two people were made uh, that were uh, decided to trust God with a tithe, one man remarked, I heard about tithing, but we decided we could not afford it. Then as time went on and our troubles grew, we talked it over, prayed about it, and decided to try it. Now a couple of years later, we agreed it was the best thing we did. We were out of the problems and glad we began tithing. God seemed to be blessed and prosperous. And another said he was glad he had 
decide to tithe. God seemed to honor my nine-tenths more than he did my ten-tenths not tithe. He honored more when I only had nine-tenths because of tithing either. Now, here's where we still have to fight and struggle because I, I know some fall on the side and say, oh, well, Jesus, you know, the law is Old Testament. We're not in that, so it's not about tithing anymore. I, I, I would disagree on that. And here's another thing I'd say about it too on that is don't get hung up in the semantics of, like, we've got to somehow teach everybody that tithe is not, you know, it's new covenant, so now what's the amount? Well, it's all up to everybody. Well, I will tell you that in my life, we have, we have stuck to uh, the teaching on tithing, and God has proven himself. When I was single, some of you have heard the story over, he proved the time I was eating out of a cooler, lights were off, was about to be kicked out of my place, business gone out, running from God, called home not to ask for money, just to kind of whine a little bit. Mom would say, are you tithing? No, because I don't have money. She'd say, you'd have money if you tithe. Mom, I, if I had money, I'd tithe. Back and forth. Finally, God would get a hold of me. I'd put my tithe in, and then wham, money would just, is like all of a sudden things change. He, I've seen him do it time and time, and we have since, in our married life, doing Dave Ramsey and other things, have actually heard that very thing that we just read. We actually heard a couple in one of our Dave Ramsey classes who are new believers going to a larger church, had a nice building, say, you know, we can't afford to tithe, and plus, there's plenty of families in here to support that church, and look at the building they've got. And we kind of tried to go on because there was a section on giving at the very end, so we're talking, and a couple others in class kind of jumped on that, and we're talking to them, we said, hey, let's just leave that. You know, by midway through that, it was a 13-week course at that time, they tearfully gave a testimony, said, you know, that kept just coming back to us, we couldn't ignore it, and so we sat down, we started doing our budget, and we realized we really could have tithed all along. It's because we were not handling our finances the way God wants us to. We began to tithe, and now all of a sudden we, have, we can't even make sense of the numbers. Somehow we always have extra. And they weren't even paying their bills when we, they started class. So we've seen it. God has proved it. What he says in his word about proving himself, he will. Now, this was always, again, easier for someone others to preach it and for me to sit in the pew and amen, brother, because I'm tithing, you know. Amen. I don't want to look like anybody that's not, so amen, double time. But... It's harder when you're a minister because of the motives and people immediately think it's about, you know, oh, the pastor's worried because our finances are bad. God's been blessing the church. I, some pastors won't want to say that. They're afraid people won't give them. We have, we have been more blessed, I will tell you, in the last year, two years at this church. That when I stepped in this church, we had about 15 months before we'd have closed doors because of finances. I'll just let you know what I had facing me when I came in as a brand new pastor. We, we were not doing good. And I'm not, that's not a trip to me. There's some that's tried to put it on, on me, and I'm like, no, I know the true story. God has done it. And it's not because all of a sudden, you know, we'd have a bunch of people come in that all of a sudden are given, and the people that were here weren't. It's because God started moving on people's hearts. And as they grew spiritually, they began to give, and God has changed it. We're looking at building a building, hopefully. I mean, we're in a very preliminary stage. We haven't talked to a bank. We haven't done anything. But the very fact that we're at that point where I can comfortably say, it's time. You know, I, I feel like we are past that time. We're overrun. You know, it might be a little no, lower numbers this morning, but when we have everybody show up that's coming, that considers us their church home, regular basis, our two services are getting full. First service was as full as this or fuller, and there's people missing this Sunday. So I'm telling you, God is blessing. He's doing it. I didn't mean to get off my rabbit trail there. I want to get through this here, but, but let's be honest. Mo- money is a big test. The church can ask for me to give of my time, and I'll, be, I'll gladly give my time my spare time to help in various projects. The church can ask me to share my talents, and I'll gladly sing or teach or whatever. I mean, if I get up to, and get to do my um, America's Got Talent every Sunday and get the standing ovation, I mean, that's awesome. 
But then when I'm running to Sonic tomorrow, I'm like, oh, yeah, I gave my cash in the offering. Then it gets real, right? I'm not getting my slush with nerds today. I mean, that gets real. There was a, a, some ushers that had taken up an offering one Sunday at church and brought the plates down the altar, and the preacher took the plates and held them up in the air and gave a prayer, and he said, Lord, regardless of what we say about you, this is really what we say about you. This is really what we feel about you. Amen. And that's the truth. You can take anybody's, and Dave Ramsey teaches this, I could sit down with a couple to look over their finances and see where the problems are, and their checkbook will tell a story of how they live their life. It will. It will. There's also a, a very wealthy uh, uh, restaurant owner in, uh, in London who had some well-known people come in to his restaurant, and they kept noticing that there were certain Christian workers that would come in there that, that didn't have a lot of money, and they would never have to pay for their food. And at one point, he opened the cash register, and one of those uh, well-to-do men saw this big six-inch six nail laying across the money that every time he had to get the money, I had to move that nail and put it back. And very curious, well, you know, why is that there? He said, because everything underneath that nail, it, it reminds me that Christ gave all, and it all belongs to him. And I, I can't look past the cross and, and see all of my blessings and, and know that's mine, it's his. Everything around there he saw as his, and so it was easy for him to give because he saw that it was all God's anyway. Don't get me wrong, um, how much you give to the church will not affect your salvation. You could be saved without ever giving a dime to any of these other con- to any congregation or this one. Um, I can party with you in heaven when we're there, and you may have uh, been the most stingy person ever, and and we're not going to know the difference probably then. I don't know. Maybe God's going to put it up on the wall. Maybe there were, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you ever been in the older church? I've been in those where they put they put the offerings up on the wall. Yeah, we we can get into that, but that's kind of funny to me now. I think about it. I was like, yeah, that's keeping it real. Get in there. It's like, hey, this is what everybody gave last week. <laughs> but, but it's not going to be that way. We can celebrate. It's not going to affect your salvation. But it will affect your maturity in Christ. It will affect God's blessings in your life. It will. I am also not one of these preachers that will say, if you give $20, God's going to give you 40 This isn't God's slot machine. Well, this time I'm going to roll the dice. I did 10 last week, got 20 I'm going to try 20 this week and see if I got 40 And some of you are like, oh, we're not supposed to take out the offering plate? I just thought it was like community... <laughs> You know, like New Testament, they put everything in one pot, you know. It's like, I needed some today, and there was some extra. No, I'm, I'm talking about that. We, this is the thing. You give it, and you give it, and it doesn't have your name on it. It goes off into the kingdom, and the kingdom receives a blessing. But I can tell you this, you'll never want. Now, you may want selfishly, but when it comes down to the essentials and God taking care of you and your family, we've seen God shows up in a real way, very specifically, time and time and time and time again. We have to realize it's all God's. Church, we can invite people next week for Back to Church Sunday, have a great service, be praising God that our friends and our relatives, our co-workers came to church. But I tell you what, they'll also be watching. Okay, this was important to you. You brought me here. They're going to hear some of this teaching and they're going to watch your life. And you will make the determination on whether they one day not only change their decision to follow Christ, but whether they mature and grow and leave all the mess that they've been in. You've got friends and family that continually financial mess, financial mess, financial mess. And it's because they don't have God's kingdom principles at work in their life. But they may get saved. They may, they may do this, and their life begins blessed, and they might turn around and you think, oh, wow, okay, that works. Now I see. 
Those people didn't even know. And they came in and started following God's principles and it changed. Um, I, I know I've told this story a lot, and it just it came up in my mind when I looked at Ken. And uh, it, it really just, I can't get away from it. There, that Christmas, one of the first Christmases we were pastoring. And, you know, I, I regret sometimes I've told numbers and stuff, but I, for the impact, no, we, God had helped us get out of debt. And just in time that we found out we were going to become pastors and come to find out the moving income was exactly the amount that we were paying on all the debt. God got us debt free so that we would never have to change one thing in our budget. Basically, all that money we're sending off for school loans, all that stuff, it equaled what we were not going to be making as pastors. So we never really felt a big change. We'd been so, God helped us be so structured and disciplined. But when we started to notice it is because Walmart has those nice bonuses. You know, when I was in management, I got some nice bonuses for a few years there. And Christmas time, even though it came March, we'd always have some of that stuck back. And our kids got, got some nice Christmases while I was at Walmart. And uh, we'd even comment and say, man, we should just give them the box because they end up, when they're little, they play with the box and all the expensive toys over here. But it was really hard for me one of the first Christmases. My boys had gotten hold of someone, had planted one of these uh, toy magazines that you order on, you know, and it was an adventure magazine for boys. It had all this spy gear, real working night vision, all this stuff that was like, why do you need that? <laughs> Grow up and be a spy and you can get all the stuff the government give you, okay? But I can't afford that. It was hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of stuff. I was like, we can't, we can't do that. And uh, so we were already starting talking about how maybe I can make some spy stuff, how we can make them think stuff is spy stuff, whatever. We're going to make this work. And uh, Jen had made a contact with a lady who was from Australia. Canada, from Canada, and they've been trying for like a year to have a play date with kids. Never really, never really made it happen. Long story short, and I don't want to reveal who the person is, so I'll leave it at that, but this person has some connections with a toy vendor. And called my wife and said, you know, we'd like to donate, and uh, you mentioned something about this New Beginnings Children's Homes. And let me just tell you that they donated in such excess and, of course, New Beginnings, because of things to deal with, there's certain things that, that they can't have there for the kids. It's just part of the rules. There's, there's certain things they don't want, things that you can take cameras and videos and all that. And all the, So Ken, Ken calls and says, man, I, I've given stuff away. We, we've got everything we need, and then we're just trying to find a place to put this. He says, I want to bless uh, your kids for this Christmas. Would you just come and shop? And he says, I got some of this stuff, and I, I, they just can't have it here um, because of some of the rules we have. So sure, come out there. I was like, that's such a blessing, you know. And, and you know how this is going to end. Not only was it the spy stuff, it was the exact same brand stuff, and even more than they had picked out. Everything they had circled, they got plus more. And Jen and I, we made the comment that we've been so busy about God's stuff we haven't had time to worry about our stuff. It was like weeks before Christmas. We hadn't even started shopping. We were stressed. And I said, isn't that amazing? Our kids, they wanted that. And God knew, and he worked it out in such awesome timing. And we had such a great Christmas. Cause we sat down and told the kids, said, Mom and Dad didn't buy this for you. God gave it to you. And we could tell them that with all honesty because it was only God that could have done that. But exactly what they had. And you know, we always use a, a lesson too. Kids come over to play and they wanted to hide their spy stuff because they didn't want to broke. I'm like, no, you know, God can take it away too. God gave you that. You should share. It, it was such an awesome thing how God worked it out. We were able to just teach and teach and teach with that. Our kids today remember that God 
that Christmas. It happened more than just that Christmas, but God, that Christmas showed up in a big way. And Jen and I just, we were just amazed. And we have no problems telling our kids no. We don't, we're not ones that think they got to have all the plastic stuff that, like, like Dave Ramsey says, oh no, if we don't get Tommy all the plastic stuff, he'll have a complex and one day he'll uh, kill 57 people with an axe and then he'll be on the news and they'll say, Tommy, why did you kill 57 people with an axe? They'll say, because my parents didn't give me plastic stuff when I was five. You know, we're not those folks, but, but it was, um, but it was important to the kids and God knew their heart. And they had spent many hours here at the church when they could have been home like other kids. We might have been counseling folks. We might have been doing something, but they were on the run. They were as much in ministry as we were. And so God took care of them. So I tell you that to say, test him in it. Test him in it. If you've got trials in your life, look at that. I'm just saying, look at your financial giving. Missions especially. Don't even think it's about New Song. Especially missions and to missionaries. Look, look at what you're doing. Are you hanging on so tightly to the money because you're like, we can't even hardly pay our bills. There might be a good reason for that. It might be that your struggle is involved in because you've got one thing in your life that God just can't open your fist to. And like Dave Ramsey says, if your fist is like this around your money, yeah, you won't lose it. You can't, can't get it out, but God can't put any more in. But if we turn our hand like this to God and say, God, it's all yours anyway, yeah, some may leave, but God always seems to put some back. Amen. Am I above bad, bad attitude, attitude of ownership? No, I just told about how my truck broke down recently and had a good run with it, the old cowboy Cadillac. And it's like, God, don't you know I'm on the way to the jail to do ministry? I mean, come on now. I need, I need this vehicle to run or I need a vehicle to run. And that's something. It's like, you know, I got this vehicle for little nothing. And we've done that time and time again. God has been good to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us, Lord, with this attitude of ownership. Help us to realize that, that uh, he who owns the gold makes the rules. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. You own everything, God. It's all yours. Lord, I thank you that you brought this message at a time when uh, there's no big uh, deal we're doing right now where I'm trying to drive for giving so we can truly just look at your scripture and just say, God, we, we need to release this part of our lives and, and look at it objectively and say, I, I can see where times where I've grabbed a hold of the money too tightly where you've had to pry my hands open to teach me a lesson that, that it's all yours. But God, I know that those lessons are tough and I'd rather us just all see your word and while maybe there's not a struggle, learn to obey now in the easy times. Lord, help us as we settle our hearts right now that when we leave this place today, we let these words of your scripture, let the words of David, King David, ring out our hearts that how blessed we are that you've given us this much that we might be able to give back to you. How blessed we are that you have uh, entrusted us to be stewards of, of abundance, Lord. Even those times when we're barely scraping by on the bills, the fact that we may be healthy enough to work, the fact that we've got a vehicle, that we've got a home, that we're not in jail, Lord, you have, you have truly blessed us. Thank you, Lord, as this church moves forward in your kingdom, building your kingdom for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.